Thanks for listening to this audio podcast from Crossgate Church in Hot Springs, Arkansas. We invite you to visit us at crossgate.org. It is our hope that you will hear from God and draw closer to Him through this service. Well, good morning, church. Let's try that again. Good morning, church. Hey, there we go. Anybody excited to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Yeah, hey, I heard a woo. That's right. We can be excited about being in the house of the Lord. Amen. Well, uh, as we said, my name is Pastor Keith, and man, just so excited and privileged to bring you the word this morning. Um, I'm the Next Steps pastor here and been on staff for a little over two years. And uh, just to tell you a little bit about me, because I know some of you, but some of you I I don't know that well. So uh, my wife is also on staff on our creative team. So she's the one that you see around here a lot taking photos and video. Um, And she does a great job. We have two little boys, Caden and Carson. They're nine and six, and they keep us very busy. Uh, And we live on a farm out in Bismarck. And um, by farm, I mean we have animals. (laughs) So we've got some goats. We've got more chickens than I can count, um, I think. And uh, we've got uh, some cats, lots of cats. Um, And we have lots of dogs. Um, By lots, I mean ten. Uh, Ten Great Pyrenees. Now, before you think I'm crazy, we we had two. um, And Coda and Chloe, um, well, they just had puppies, eight of them. Uh, So y'all pray for us uh, because those dogs get big uh, and they need homes. Uh, So, uh, yeah, but I love the farm and uh, I love... Uh, especially the farm in the fall. I love everything about the fall. I love the change in the weather. I love the change in the leaves. Hey, football is back. Amen. I heard one amen. Um, Football is back, but man, fall is just such a great time. And one of the reasons why I love it so much is because as the weather gets cooler, it reminds me that my favorite time of year is just around the corner, and that is Christmas. Uh, I know, too soon, but, uh, but Christmas is just around the corner, and I love Christmas. Always have as a boy, and I still do. One of my favorite things about Christmas, though, are Christmas movies. Now, we're not going to have the great Christmas movie debate here this morning, um, but I thought, what a better way to kick off the message than by showing a clip from one of my favorite Christmas movies. So uh, watch this and see if you recognize it. Dad, I need batteries. What? I got some batteries in my bag. I'll give them to you on the plane. Here's two more. Well, why can't I get them now? I'll get them. Not now, Kevin. Come on. Kevin, you gonna take my bag? You gonna take my bag? Come on. Of course, that is a clip from Home Alone 
2, uh, where Kevin McAllister once again is separated from his family as he gets distracted, gets on the wrong plane. He ends up in New York City and his family in Paris. So I know what you're thinking, Pastor Keith, what in the world does Home Alone 2 have to do with the sermon today? Well, I'm glad you asked, because if you do, uh, if you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, turn to Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8 in your Bibles, and this morning during our time together, I'm going to show you, just as Kevin McAllister found out, why who you're following ultimately determines your destination. And how getting it wrong can lead you to places that you never intended to go. Church, today we're going to consider this question, which Jesus are you following? So Mark chapter 8 in your Bibles, we'll get to the text in just a minute, but this, we're going to read a story about the disciples, and one in particular, a guy named Peter. Now, if you know anything about Peter, you know that Peter was a passionate dude. He was a fisherman, so whether it was fishing or following Jesus, Peter was passionate. Um, He was passionate about following Jesus as well. Um, But let's talk about why we're talking about this today. Why the disciples? Why Peter? Why following Jesus? Well, here at Crossgate, we have a very specific purpose, and I'm sure you probably heard it even this morning. If you know it, say it with us. Here at Crossgate, we make more and better disciples for Jesus Christ. There you go. Thank you for helping me out there. But that begs the question, what is a disciple? If we're making disciples, we need to know what they are, right? Well, a disciple, we define it as a growing follower of Jesus who lives and loves like Jesus and leads others to follow him. And I love that definition because it paints a very clear picture for us of what it looks like to follow Jesus, just like Peter and the disciples. But the word disciple, it literally means student or learner, student or learner. But it's not what we typically think of here in the Western culture when we think of students. We, a student, we normally think of someone sitting in a classroom, listening to a lecture, gaining information, something like that. But in a Jewish context, uh, rabbis or teachers of the law would select the best of the best students to be their disciples. And they wouldn't just call them to go sit in a classroom. They would call them to come and do life with them, to follow them. And these students, they would follow the rabbis. They would study them. They would watch them. They would learn from them that way. And they would eventually start to practice with them, all with the hopes that one day the student would become like the teacher. They would become rabbis as well. Now, this is important to understand because Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. He was a Jewish rabbi, and he also called disciples. But he didn't call the best of the best from the local Jewish divinity school. Okay? He didn't go down there and say, hey, give me your top five students. It's not, not how he rolled. Jesus called fishermen, tradesmen, even tax collectors to follow him. And you got to understand, this would have been scandalous in that culture, a really big deal, because fishermen were lower-class citizens, and tax collectors were absolutely despised by that culture. These guys hadn't been to seminary, they didn't have any advanced degrees, and they didn't have any specialized training. Yet this is exactly who Jesus chose to be his disciples, and they chose to follow him by faith. And that brings us to our passage today. Let's look at Mark chapter 8, starting in verse 27. And Jesus went on with his disciples to the villages of Caesarea Philippi. 
And on the way, he asked his disciples, who do people say that I am? And they told him, John the Baptist. And others say, Elijah. And others, one of the prophets. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? Peter answered him, you are the Christ. And he strictly charged them to tell no one about him. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, Jesus rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospel's will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? You see, at this point, Peter and the disciples, they've been following Jesus for some time, and they've witnessed a lot. They've seen Jesus heal the sick and the lame. They've seen him cast out demons, feed the multitudes, and even walk on water. But they hadn't just been witnesses to this. They've now started to participate in some of that as well. We see in Mark chapter 6, Jesus gives them authority, and he sends them out two by two. So they are participating in ministry with Jesus. They've been with him for quite some time. But here, Jesus questions them about his true identity. He says, hey, people are starting to see the things that I'm doing. Who are they saying that I am? And of course, they say John the Baptist, who was recently martyred. Some say Elijah. Some say one of the prophets. But then he asks them the most important question that they had ever been asked. He says, who do you say that I am? Can I tell you that Jesus is asking the same question to you and I today? And it's the most important one that we will ever have to answer. Who do you say that I am? What we do with Jesus Christ is the most important decision that we will ever have to make. So he asked them this question, and finally Peter and the disciples, they realized that this rabbi that they've been following, he's no ordinary rabbi. He is the Messiah, the Son of God, the long-awaited Savior. And here, on the road to Caesarea Philippi, they come to a crisis of faith, a crossroads, so to speak. It's a crossroads because they realize that they're following Jesus, the Messiah, but they've committed their lives to being disciples, to follow him. That means that they're going to go where he goes and do what he does. But now Jesus says, I'm headed to the cross. For the disciples, that meant they were expected to follow him there. And in this, we learn a lot about what it really means to be a disciple, a follower of Jesus. First, today, we're going to look at the conduct of the disciple. The conduct. How should a disciple, a follower of Jesus, act? What should their life look like? The fact that Jesus was headed to the cross to die was an issue for Peter. That's what led him to take Jesus aside and rebuke him. It was an issue because Peter knew the implication. If Jesus is going to die, I'm going to have to go with him. The same is true for you and for me. 
As we continue to follow the master, the expectation is that we're following him and we're becoming more like him. We start to do the same things that he would do and go the same places he would go. That's why in our definition of a disciple, it says it's someone who lives and loves like Jesus. But don't just take my word for it. Let's look at what the Bible says in 1 John chapter 2. It says, whoever says, I know him, that's I know Jesus, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him, here it is, ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. So we want to know if we're really following Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, are we walking the same way that he walked? Are we doing the things that he did, going the places that he went? Jesus himself referred to this in Matthew chapter 10. Let's look at verse 24. It says, a disciple is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. It is enough for the disciple to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. He says, hey, the, the disciple's no better than the teacher. It's enough for him to be like him. In fact, did you know that this is the entire purpose of the Christian life? The whole purpose of the Christian life of us being saved is so that we can become more and more like Jesus. If you're saved today, God did not save us just so that we can enjoy the comforts of this life and then party it up in heaven one day when we die. God saved us ultimately so that we could become more and more like Jesus. That is what brings him glory. Look at Romans chapter 8, verse 28. It says, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. And we love to quote this verse. It's one of my favorite verses. I love it too. But we like to think, oh man, God's working it all out. He's working it all out for good. But it says according to his purpose. What is that purpose? Well, verse 29 tells us. It says, for those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be, here it is, conformed to the image of his son in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. So everything in our lives, as children of God, everything in our lives, God is working to make us more and more like Jesus. That is the purpose of the Christian life. And the way that we do that is by following Christ, even if it means following him to the cross. Can I tell you that following Jesus is not always easy? It's not always comfortable. Sometimes it means that it's going to be hard. And sometimes it means that our devotion to Christ is going to cost us something. But can I let you in on a little secret? You will never get more enjoyment, more fulfillment, or more satisfaction than when you are doing the thing that God created you to do. And that is to fall in love with Jesus, to follow Jesus, to become more and more like Jesus, to lead others to Jesus. Hey, folks, it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. I love this quote from John Piper. He says it so often. He says, God is most glorified in you when you are most satisfied in him. We sing that song, Nothing Else. Is he that thing that you want more than anything else this morning? Because he is the only one that is going to satisfy us. Jesus, and that is what brings God glory. So you want to figure out if you're really following Jesus, the Jesus of the Bible, we need to ask ourselves, am I going where Jesus would go? Am I doing what Jesus would do? Am I living and loving 
like Jesus? Am I concerned about the things that he's concerned about? Am I grieved about the things that he's grieved about? Are his priorities my priorities? And if we can't answer yes to those, then we need to be honest and take a a look at the areas in our lives when we may not be following the Jesus of the Bible. Listen, I'm not suggesting that we're perfect, okay? We know that we still have a flesh, we have a sin nature, and we're going to fall short. But what I'm talking about this morning is the overall pattern of our lives. Does it reflect the fact that we are following Jesus and therefore becoming more and more like him? Now, you might be saying, okay, Keith, that sounds good in theory. I I agree we need to follow Jesus and become like him. But what does it look like? How do we actually do that? Well, we see the conduct of the disciple. Next, we see the context of the disciple. The context of the disciple. I told you that we live on a farm, and we particularly enjoy early spring when things are starting to warm up some. And one of the things that I like to do is plant a garden and try to grow our own food. Now, notice I said try. I'm not, I'm not going to make it seem like I'm a green thumb because I'm not very good at it. But I've grown some tomatoes and cucumbers and a squash or two here and there. Um, But one of the things I love is to just put a seed in the ground and nurture that thing and see it grow up to the point where it eventually produces fruit. But as you know, in order for that to happen, there needs to be some basic ingredients that are present, right? Um, Good soil, water, sunlight, just to name a few, just some basics. Can I tell you the same is true for us in the Christian life? If we want to grow, if we want our lives Uh, to reflect Christ, if we want to be effective in following him, there's some basic ingredients that need to be present that we need to intentionally invest in. The first one is God's spirit. God's spirit. Look at Romans chapter 8, verses 12 through 14. Paul says, so then, brothers, we are debtors, not to the flesh, to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to your flesh, you will die. But if by the spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are led by the Spirit of God are sons of God. When we receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we receive the Holy Spirit dwelling within us. It is him who empowers us, as the Bible says, both to will and to do. It's him who gives us the ability to even follow Jesus. We can't do it on our own. In our flesh, it just leads to death. You want to know if you're really saved this morning, if you're really in Christ? Ask yourself, am I being led by the Spirit of God? If you've never surrendered your life to Christ as Lord and Savior, you don't have the Holy Spirit within you. You just have your flesh, and that leads to death. If that's you this morning, I want to encourage you to get that settled today, to make today the day of salvation so that you can become a disciple of Jesus and trust him with your salvation. We need God's spirit. Secondly, we need God's word. We need God's word. Look at 2 Timothy 3.16. It says, All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. God's word is an essential ingredient for our growth. We cannot grow apart from the word of God. We have to have it. It's our source of truth. It teaches us about God. And the more we know him, the more we love him. And the more we want to follow him, and the more we become like him. We need God's spirit. We need God's word. And lastly, we need God's people. We need God's people. 
We cannot do this thing alone. We need to be in biblical community with like-minded brothers and sisters who are also following Jesus. We see this example in the disciples, right? Jesus called multiple people to follow him in a group, in community, and he didn't just call them to a classroom. He says, come and do life together. Do life with me. And as we walk and as we live life together, we are growing together. It's a life-on-life investment over time. We also see this example in the Apostle Paul. Look at 2 Timothy 2.2. Paul says this to Timothy, his disciple. He says, And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. He said, hey, Timothy, the things that I taught you, I got that from God. I'm teaching it to you. I want you to go and teach it to others. Why? So they can go and teach others as well. That is discipleship. It is relationship. It's not just gathering information. It is relationships. Look at Hebrews chapter 10, verse 24. It says, and let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works. This word consider, that is intentional. It's intentional. It means to think about. It means to really consider how can I stir up my brothers and sisters to love Jesus more, to follow Jesus faithfully, to continue in good works. This is the body of Christ. I love this quote by J.D. Greer. He says, discipleship happens in relationships. That's so simple, but it's so profound and so true. We are built for relationships. As disciples, if we want to become better followers of Jesus, we have to do that in community. That's that's why community is one of our priorities here at Crossgate. Quite frankly, folks, growing in Christ, becoming better followers, it's just not going to happen apart from God's spirit, God's word, and God's people. Those are essential for our growth. And there's a lot of ways that we can do that here at Crossgate. Lots of opportunities to do that. Of course, our life groups are, are vital. They're so important. Wednesday evening discipleship opportunities, serving together, lots of great opportunities. But the one that I want to highlight this morning that I think encompasses all three of these areas is by joining a discipleship group or D group. Now, how many of you have heard of a D group here at Crossgate before? Okay, some of you, a lot have not. Um, well, we're going to put a graphic on the screen because a lot of you have probably heard us talk about life groups. Um, But a D group is not quite the same thing as a life group. There's some similarities, but they are very different. So uh, the first thing is the size. In a life group, it's typically 8 to 12 on average. There's some that are a little smaller, some that are larger. A D group is four to five people. That's it. A very small group, no more, no less. A uh, gender is another area where they're different. Most of our life groups are co-ed, meaning men and women. A D group is always going to be same gender, a group of men or a group of women. Frequency, they both meet weekly. Some of our life groups meet bi-weekly, but it is a weekly meeting. Accessibility, a life group is mostly open. Most of our groups are open, meaning that anyone can pop in on any given uh, meeting. Uh, A D group is closed. That means that you start and finish with the same people. Once it gets started, you, you really don't add other people. Uh, the duration, life groups, most of them are ongoing. There's not really an end date. A D group is specifically 18 to 24 months. And the reason for that is because over that time, your group is reading the Bible together. 
you're journaling through it, you're memorizing scripture, praying for one another, and you're meeting weekly to discuss what God's doing in your life and to hold each other accountable. It is very intentional. And at the end of that time, we ask everybody in the D group to pray about going and starting another group and doing the same for other people. Another thing that that allows is transparency. Now, we promote transparency in our life groups. We want people to be authentic and transparent. But in a D group, that is the expectation, that we are really known and we know each other. We can encourage and hold one another accountable. Now, to this point, we haven't put a huge emphasis corporately like this on D groups. But I want you to know that we've had, over the last three years, several D groups start. And several of those have gone through the process and finished. And some of them have even replicated, meaning they've sent out others to start other D groups, and that's happened. And we have some new groups that are going to be starting soon. So if you have even the slightest inclination to grow in your walk with Jesus, I would love to give you more information about D groups. I would encourage you to come to Next Steps after the service. You you don't have to necessarily commit to anything. Just say, hey, I want some more information. I would love to give that to you. Or if you can't come by Next Steps, our, our team is going to put a QR code on the screens after the service, and we'll just leave it up there. You can take out your device, scan that little code. It'll give you a form to fill out with just some brief information, and we will send you that information uh, this coming week. Listen, I'm not saying that a D group is the only way to grow as a Christian, and I'm not telling you that everybody in this room needs to drop everything and be a part of a D group. What I am saying is that it is a tremendous way to invest intentionally in God's spirit, God's word and God's people in your lives. And I I hope that you will consider it. This is me personally challenging you to consider it and at least ask God if this is something that he would have you to do. It doesn't matter if you've been following Christ for 30 years or 30 minutes. I guarantee you, you will get a blessing out of being part of a D group. But listen, don't just take my word for it. I I wanna look at what some of our people are saying about their experience in D groups. Look at uh, what Sean Utt says. He says, being in a D group has helped me to dig deeper into God's word by using the here journaling method. Discussing life with the other men in my group challenges me to be a better leader and husband. Amen. Look at Pamela Messenger. She says, I love my D group. We study the Bible and share our various perspectives in a way that opens our hearts to share life with each other and grow in our walks with God. We pray for each other and share in the good and the bad. They hold me accountable for my goals in my spiritual walk, which can be tough in today's world. I know I can trust these ladies for anything. And then finally, Carlton Scott, he says, I accepted Jesus as my Lord and Savior over 24 years ago. But it wasn't until I was invited to join a D group in February of 2021 that I really began to read and study God's word. Since that time, God has given me a desire to go deeper into his word than ever before. That D group ended in March of 2022, but my love for his word and the accountability that a D group brings has inspired me to start two other D groups. One finished in April of this year and the other is still going strong. I love the opportunity that we have to dive into God's word together as every week we meet to discuss the things he is showing us. Listen to this. My relationship with Jesus has never been better. Being in a D group has forever changed my life. Listen, I didn't coach them on this. I just simply asked them to share what God has done through D groups at Crossgate. And I'm just so excited about the the blessing that we get to receive by being a part. And so I would encourage you to consider whether or not God wants you to be in a D group going for it. 
But what I know is that in a crowd this size, someone has already tuned me out. Somebody has heard that and you just said, ah, no, I appreciate it, but that's not for me, for whatever reason. You might say, I'm, I'm not a super Christian. I don't really know that much about the Bible, um, or it's just not for me. Or how about this? I'm too busy. Hey, I get it. I'm right there with you. Life is busy. And it may seem daunting to think about adding just another thing to the schedule. But if that's you, let me challenge you. And I say this with a lot of love. Think about what we're asking here, okay? Engaging in God's word. Engaging in prayer. Memorizing scripture and being in biblical community. Those are the basics of the Christian life. Those are the essential ingredients that we need to grow as followers of Jesus. And I'm not saying that you can only get that in a D group, but I am saying that we need to be prioritizing those things in our lives. Because if we're too busy for that, folks, we're too busy. We might need to start saying no to some things so that we can say yes to Jesus. Because here's the truth. We make time for what's important for, to us, don't we? We do. Whether that's deadlines at work, ball games or recitals, that big rivalry game on TV this week. Hey, we make time for what's important for us, important to us. And I'm not saying that those things I listed aren't important, but what I am saying is that our spiritual growth, our walks with Jesus should be a priority in our lives, and that should be reflected in our schedules. But as we see in the text today, Jesus calls his disciples to very specific things. He says, if you want to be my disciple, you must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. That is the call of the disciple. We saw the conduct, the context, and now the call of the disciple. Let's look back at our text in Mark chapter 8, verse 29. Jesus asked them, but who do you say that I am? This is the important question. And Peter answered him, you are the Christ. I love this because he asked them this question, and to no one's surprise, Peter is the first one to raise his hand, right? Peter's like, oh, I know the answer. I got it. I got it. But to everyone's surprise, Peter actually got it right. Peter, the guy whose motto is talk now, think later, he got it right. And you just have to picture he gets it right, and he's doing a touchdown dance. He's up there doing this or doing a, a Dion strut. You know what I mean? He's, he looks at Andrew, his brother, hey, Drew, you see that? You see that? And he's got this rivalry thing with John. He's like, hey, John, that's one for me. Yeah, Peter, he gets it right. But how does he go from this spiritual mountaintop, the pinnacle of his spiritual life, to the lowest point of his life at that point? How does he go from Peter, the spiritual giant, to Peter, the tool of Satan? Well, you see, Peter was following the Messiah, but he was following a version that he had made up for himself. He was following a Messiah that he wanted to see do certain things. He wanted the Messiah to fit a narrative that he and the Jews were expecting. You see, at this time, the, the Jews were under Roman rule. Uh, and the Romans, they treated the Jews terribly. They often mistreated them. They charged them a ridiculous amount of taxes. And they just generally disregarded all of their sacred religious beliefs. And the Jews, most of them hated it. And they would have at least had an awareness that the Old Testament scriptures prophesied of a coming Messiah, a Savior who would come and deliver them. 
But when they imagined the Messiah, they imagined a strong military leader who would come and overthrow the Romans and establish a physical kingdom, one in which the Jews would thrive. And this is what Peter would have been expecting as well. You see, in Jesus, Peter thought he was getting the conquering king. He thought Jesus was going to come and just smack down the Romans and deliver the Jews. But what he actually got was the suffering servant. You see, Peter wanted rescue from the Romans, but what he didn't realize is that he needed rescue from his sins. Peter was on board with Jesus as Messiah, but he was not on board with Jesus going to the cross. You see, the cross did not fit well with Peter's plans for Peter's life. And so he takes Jesus aside and he rebukes him. And he says, hey, Jesus, listen, I love you. But all this talk about dying and going to the cross and all of that, that's scaring the guys. And quite frankly, that's not part of the plan. That's not going to happen. We're not going to let it happen. You see, Peter thinks he knows what kind of Messiah that Jesus needs to be. So he attempts to change him to fit his conception. And in the process, he stoops to conspiring with Satan himself. But in response, Jesus lovingly rebukes Peter, and he uses it as an opportunity to teach the crowd. He explains to them that the kingdom of God, it doesn't work the same way that you and I expect. You see, in the kingdom, the way up is down. You want to be exalted? You got to be a servant. You want to gain? Well, you have to give. And if you want to experience the abundant life found in Christ, you have to be willing to die. The call of the disciple is a call to die. Not necessarily physically, but it's a call to die to yourself, to your sin, to your pride, to your plans, to your agenda. It is a complete and total surrender to Jesus Christ as Lord of your life. And according to Jesus, this death to self, it's not optional. It is a requirement if we want to follow Jesus. Look at Mark chapter 8 and verse 34. Calling the crowd to him with his disciples, Jesus said to them, if anyone would come after me, that's if anyone wants to follow me as my disciple, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. You see, this concept of taking up the cross was a very familiar picture for the Jews. To see someone carrying a cross out of town, they knew was a death sentence. They knew what that meant. And so did the disciples. Denying ourselves, though, it means taking up our cross, and it's no longer us pursuing the things that our flesh desires. It's not us doing what we want to do as Lord of our lives. It's sinking God's will first. Not my will, but yours be done, empowered by the Spirit. You see, denying ourselves, that is a change of heart, and it's a change of mind. It's what we mean by the word repent, which means to turn around. It means that I'm going this direction. I'm doing what I want to do. I'm living by my agenda, my rules, my will, what feels good to me. But at some point, I meet Jesus and I realize that I'm a terrible Lord of my life because living in the flesh leads to death. And so, Jesus, I want you to be my Lord and Savior. I surrender my life to you. I'm not going this way anymore. Now I'm going this way. And Jesus is Lord. It's his will, his way, his glory. That's what it means to follow Jesus. This is what Peter was lacking at this point in his life. 
And we see that because Jesus says that Peter was not set in his mind on the things of, of God. He was set in his mind on the things of man. He wasn't filled and being led by the Spirit. Oh, Peter had knowledge about Jesus, but he had not truly repented. You see, he was following a version of Jesus um, that fit his own agenda. And I, I'm sure he never intended to get to that place, but he got distracted by the desires of his flesh and what he wanted to see happen. Let me ask you this. Does your will and your agenda ever conflict with God's will for you? How do you respond with, when what God wants for you and your family uh, is in conflict with what you want? Who typically wins? Do we even recognize that there's a conflict? You know, when we know what God would want us to do, we, we know how God would want us to spend our time and our priorities, but that, that stuff's just not as appealing as these other things that I want to do. Who wins? Because what I see a lot of times is that people, even myself included, we're just like Peter. We're like, okay, Jesus, I'm good with you as Lord as long as it doesn't cost us too much or interfere with our plans. It's like I want to insert Jesus into the most convenient spot in my life that doesn't make me too uncomfortable. If we're being honest, Jesus is not the center of our lives. We are. But can I tell you, he is not going to share his throne with anyone. He is either Lord of all or he is not Lord at all. Listen, I love you, but I got to tell you the truth this morning. The most important thing in this life is not how big of a house we, we live in or what, how nice of a car we drive or how much money we make at our jobs or what schools our children go to. That is not the most important thing. This life is so small compared to eternity. May we never get to the place that we're more concerned about where our kids go to school than where they spend eternity. Because there is an eternity. And isn't this what Jesus said in this passage? He said, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his own soul? Are we really following Jesus this morning? The Jesus of the Bible? Or are we like Peter, trying to follow a version that we've created for ourselves that fits well in our agenda? Look at this quote from David Platt in his book, Radical. He says, we American Christians have a way of taking the Jesus of the Bible and twisting him into a version of Jesus that we are more comfortable with. A nice, middle-class American Jesus. A Jesus who doesn't mind materialism and would never call us to give away everything we have. A Jesus who is fine with nominal devotion that does not infringe on our comforts. A Jesus who wants us to be balanced, who wants us to avoid dangerous extremes, and for that matter, wants us to avoid danger altogether. A Jesus who brings comfort and prosperity to us as we live out our Christian spin on the American dream. Those are hard words. They're scary. But listen, this is what scares me the most even for some of you that are in this room or watching online. I'm scared that the enemy has sold us a lie about the Jesus that we are supposedly following. Because in a crowd this size, I would guess that some of you may be like me at one point in my life. You're trusting your parents or your grandparents' religion or the fact that your family has always been Christian or you grew up in the South and you believe in God or you go to church from every now and then or maybe even this church or you said a prayer at one point in your life a long, long time ago. But if we're being honest, you know Jesus like you know the President of the United States. 
You can tell me his name, and you can rattle off some facts about him. But if you show up at the gates of the White House this afternoon, you're not getting in. Why? Because he doesn't know you. There's no relationship there. And this is exactly what Jesus said is going to happen on the day of judgment. Look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 21. Jesus says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father. What's the will of the Father? It's that we love Jesus and follow Jesus and become more like him. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. So it doesn't matter how many good things we do for Jesus. It's about whether or not we know him and he knows us. This is one of the saddest passages in the Bible. Yet I'm afraid that many people are in that exact place this morning. Which Jesus are you following? Have you ever come to the place where you have fully surrendered your life to Jesus Christ, not just as Savior, but as Lord. Not my will, your will be done. If not, I'll pray that you'll get that settled today. Because listen, it's one thing to mistakenly get on the wrong plane and end up in New York City apart from your family for Christmas. But it is a completely different thing to follow the wrong Jesus and end up in hell apart from God for eternity. So here's the question today. Which Jesus am I following? Have I really died to myself, my agenda, my selfishness, my sin, and have I surrendered to Jesus as Lord of my life? Do I really know Jesus or do I just know some facts about him? Does he really know me? Listen, if you're here this morning and you don't know for sure that you would be in heaven if you died today, can I tell you, God loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die on a cross to take the penalty of your sins. Thank God he rose from that grave three days later and he wants a relationship with you, but we have to come to him on his terms. He's either Lord of all or he's not Lord at all. If that's you and you want to know Jesus, I would love to introduce you to him. Come by Next Steps. Me or one of our leaders, we would love to talk to you more about how you can know Jesus and have a relationship with him. Maybe you're listening this morning. You say, Pastor Keith, I know Jesus, but if I'm being honest, there are areas in my life where he is not Lord. There are areas in my life where I have not fully surrendered to him. I'm trying to fit him into my life where it's most comfortable. If that's you, can I tell you that God is waiting with open arms and he wants, he, he wants for you so badly to repent and to follow him in that area. In just a moment, the worship team is going to come and they're going to close us in a song. I want each of us in this room to do this. I want you to, in this time, to pray and to ask God, say, God, is there an area in my life where I am not fully surrendered to you as Lord? And if so, would you put your finger on the exact place and help me repent? Help me to turn from doing my own thing and to follow you as Lord of my life. 
You might want to come down to this altar and pray or pray at your seat. You do what the Lord leads you to do. If you're interested in talking about anything we've talked about today, come by Next Steps. I would love to talk with you. But I just want you to take a minute and just do business with God. Which Jesus are we following? We invite you to join us in person at our campus located at 3100 East Grand Avenue in Hot Springs, Arkansas. If we can pray for you, send us an email at prayer at crossgate.org. Thanks again for listening to our audio podcast.